Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. You're listening to the Irish Times. Hello there, and you're very welcome to Inside Story, the podcast series from the Irish Times, in which we talk to our journalists about the background to stories which they're working on for our print edition or on irishtimes.com. I'm Hugh Linehan. Back in April 2015, a group called the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists made global headlines when it released the Panama Papers, a cache of leaked documents which lifted the lid on how offshore companies are used by the global elite to conceal the ownership and control of assets and of property worth billions. Today, our legal affairs correspondent Colm Keena, who works with the ICIJ on behalf of the Irish Times, is here with me to share news of a new trove of records that expose the financial ties of major political figures. Colm, welcome back. You've talked to us before about the ICIJ, but maybe you could just remind us what it is. Yeah, the ICIJ, the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, is based in Washington, D.C., and what it does is it it, it helps um, journalists in media partner groups around the globe collaborate together in investigations, usually based on massive data leaks. And the Irish Times is one of those media organisations. Can I name a few of the other ones who are involved? Surely. Uh, in this project, we have the BBC, The Guardian, Le Monde, Sudite Zeitung, New York Times, you know, media, media organisations across the globe, Africa, Asia, all across Europe. Now, you're our legal affairs correspondent, but you're also the Irish Times point of contact for dealing with these stories as part of as part of this partnership. That's right. I, I've worked on LuxLeaks, uh, SwissLeaks, and uh, more recently, the Panama Papers. The Panama Papers was similar to this, the Paradise Papers, this leak in the sense that it was an absolutely massive uh, leak. It was said to be the, the largest ever data leak. This one is comparable in size. And Panama Papers, like this one, was focused on the leaked files of an offshore services law firm. And... Just a little bit more then on this company, Appleby. I've never heard of them. What are they or who are they? Yeah, they're they're a law firm. They've got they've got offices in Mauritius, the Isle of Man, uh, the Cayman Islands, and they, um, you know, a, a lot of major um, corporations around the globe and very very wealthy individuals would use their services. Uh, you might be able to set up trust funds and so on through them. Set up foreign uh, companies located in these uh, jurisdictions, and they provide a lot of. Uh, complicated services to tax planning and so on. Um, so they'd be a kind of a go-to law firm if you wanted to set up an offshore structure. So this is, is that fair to say that this might be a bigger leak or it might uh, give us more information than the, than the last one? And the last one had significant effects in several countries around the world. That's right. The last one had, had, had a lot of repercussions and led to general elections and the ending of political careers and so on. But this one is very much... Um, about wealthy people and wealthy companies using legal, uh, if aggressive, uh, tax planning structures involving uh, the offshore locations. So this particular uh, bunch of documents, I mean, you mentioned earlier that it mostly pertains to very, very wealthy individuals and their their tax practices across the world. And uh, some of them we will have heard of, like 
the Queen, for example. Yes, the Queen is there uh, making major investments in a in a Cayman Islands fund and, and there's detail in it of, of uh, the results she gets. I think she pays tax on a voluntary basis and and um, and and the the uh, the net results of this, according to the Queen or to Buckingham Palace, is that there's no tax avoidance involved. But nevertheless, I think it is embarrassing that you know they're, they're, she's using these off offshore uh, entities, uh, which have such a focus on tax avoidance. And by the way, of course, they're all crown dependencies. Um, most of these tax jurisdictions. That's convenient. Yes. <laughs> yes. Most of these tax jurisdictions, I think it's a major point that emerges from all of these things, are remnants of the British Empire who found a new uh, reason for living, so to speak, back in the 70s that has developed over recent decades, which is providing offshore peop- uh, um, um, services to people who want to avoid uh, the prying eyes of regulators, the prying eyes of the revenue commissioners, and who want to avail of really, really are low or non-existent tax rates. But the interesting aspect of I think of it, which I think is often forgotten, is that if you have a billion dollars or euros and you want to stash it somewhere, you're not going to put it in your jurisdiction where you think the local police force might take it and the courts will tell you to get lost and share the loot with the cops. But if you do it in a British Crown dependency or so on, you can appeal what happens in those jurisdictions all the way to London. You, you end up in a courtroom, I've been in it, it's across the road from the Houses of Parliament in Westminster, and you go in there and you say, these guys broke the property laws. And then this court in England will issue an instruction to give you back your money. So you get your offshore benefit without the danger. But you get, the, you get all the uh, benefits of the rule of law. Because it's not quite a banana republic in, 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 in that, sense of, a, that so sense of the word. So it goes straight back to the Queen. Really. That's fascinating and I, yeah. I never really realised but that, that does make uh, a lot of sense. But mm. having a, had a first look at these myself now over the last couple of hours, one of the things that strike me and I think it's made cl- plain in the report is what this does is it gives us nitty gritty on something which people have been writing about a lot over the last few years which is the increased disparity between the very, very rich of the world and the rest of us and the rest of the world. And this is how the very, very rich stay rich and get even richer. Yes, it's definitely become the norm now. If you're above a certain um, income level or, or if you're certain a wealth of above a certain threshold, this is what you do. To do otherwise is, you know, you're considered foolish. And there, there's a whole industry there of the big four uh, accountancy firms, law firms, tax advisors and banking system all set up there to target uh, people with wealth and, and, and substantial income. None of this is illegal, of course. None of this is illegal. In fact, it's all poured over by lawyers. And uh, you you get you pay a lot. Of, well, you don't pay that much, actually, in fees. And you set up these offshore structures and you pay less tax than the governments in substantial jurisdictions where most of these people actually live their lives, wherever about their official residencies, like where they live their lives and where their children grow up and go to school and so on. They don't pay the taxes that those jurisdictions, you know, impose on the ordinary people, if you want, and the smaller companies. They, they escape from that and they escape from the regulation and so on. So it is, I think it's fair to say that there is, a, you know, there's two worlds you live in. If you're above a certain threshold, you live in this offshore world. Well, one of the one of the stories I think you were looking at as, a, as an example of that or a good illustration of that is Glencore, which is an enormous corporation with mining interests across the world. That's right. And uh, and how it deals with revenues or profits which it makes out of Burkina Faso. Yes, I mean, it's the ICIJ have 
produced an, an excellent report on this in cooperation with colleagues in, in Africa and they go in and describe impoverished miners in Burkina Faso uh, being harassed by the police for trying to uh, protest for better wages um, and they get t- extraordinary uh, small uh, pay and they also being harassed for complaining about envi- environmental degradation. And then at the same time, you see uh, Glencore organising the, through Appleby, organising these global tax structures. Uh, Glencore is headquartered in Switzerland that transfer the profits by legal means, but aggressive tax planning outside uh, Burkina Faso. So it doesn't even get the the, uh, the tax take it feels it is entitled to um, from from the mining operations. Uh, in Burkina Faso. Among the very interesting things, and we'll have to see how these play out over the next few days as this information is released, there are, there are a couple of figures, very prominent American figures, with connections to the Trump administration. The uh, Donald Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, is named in relation to one set of transactions. Um, and also Wilbur Ross, who Irish listeners may be aware of because he uh, invested a lot in the Irish property market during the slump, and he is now uh, he's now in the, in the, in the Trump administration. Former secretary. Yeah. There, yeah. And what, yeah. what's what, what, what does the report tell us about well, him? Well, the leaked documents give additional inf- information about uh, connections between Ross and uh, some Russian investors and um, Russian money. And one of the focuses of the ICIJ project is to look at um, uh, connections between people close to Trump and Russian money. And Certainly the in the news at the moment. Yeah, and the extent to which... What's in the in the treasure trove of documents, so to speak, has already been declared or not been declared. And there is some fresh information or what looks like fresh information in the treasure trove that will, you know, increase the pressure on these people. Did you disclose all your links with big Russian money? Because the first thing, we'll see what happens. But as we know, anybody who's appointed to the administration has to go through a process of uh, hearings before uh, before the Senate and before Congress. And they're supposed to make full declarations and divest themselves of certain types of interests as well. So it will be interesting to see how that tallies against what we're seeing in this report. Exactly. And um, so there'll be a good bit of pressure put on them. And as an aside, this is the first time that the New York Times has been involved in a project like this. So it's... it's, it's um, there's a quite a strong focus on the material that's in there uh, on matters political in the United States. Now, I want to touch on a couple of Irish aspects of this. First one, Bono's investing in Lithuanian supermarkets. Yeah, well, the, the documentation uh, shows that he was a shareholder in a company in Malta, which in turn uh, owned a small shop- a shopping centre in a small town in Lithuania, a very unattractive looking uh, shopping centre. You haven't been over to look at it, have you? I haven't. I looked at it on Google Maps and it really is an attractive looking structure. Whether it was a good investment or not, I don't know. So he, he was a, a miner and what he says is a passive investor in this uh, property investment. Right. But uh, perhaps more significantly, allied Irish banks figure in this. Yeah, yeah, much more substantially. Um, Appleby have a, a, an operation in the Isle of Man and there's an enormous amount of Irish material in there of Irish companies, Irish individuals using the services of the Isle of Man to hold their assets and to uh, provide them with confidentiality and also to, to uh, provide them with tax planning services. The Appleby also acted as legal advisors to AIB in the Isle of Man and to AIB Channel Islands, Jersey, which had a branch in the Isle of Man. Then more, more recently, when, when AIB decided to close down its, its offshore operations, 
in 2012, it needed somebody to wind down these things. You know, you can't get rid of your depositors that quickly. And so Appleby won the contract. But the wonderful thing about this is that you can see um, 20 years or more, you know, from inside the law firm providing advice to AIB, Isle of Man and AIB Jersey as they're dealing with an ongoing sort of relentless uh, queries from the revenue which uh, decided to launch an offshore assets inquiry in 2004, which that inquiry is still going on. And um, so it's, you know, really fascinating. To so see. you can see what they're doing in order to internally, in, in order to manage that process of yes. being investigated and yes. having their modus operandi yes. investigating. And yeah. what does that show? Well, one of the things that I thought was quite interesting was show was in 2006, they set up a, a, an integrated IT system within the AIB group. And you can see all this concern in the um, in the Isle of Man and Jersey that their data is going to be on a central server in the Republic. And they're concerned that the revenue will get their hands on this data by arguing that it's in the power and control of AIB in the Republic. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of back and forth about this and consulting and legal advice and so on. And then... Later on, you see in 2015, the revenue have received a court order that involves um, AIB customers and AIB in the Republic asks um, AIB offshore, can we look at some of your data to see if there's relevant documentation in there? And the AIB offshore take legal advice and come back and say, no, you can't. If you want to get access to this information, you have to go to the courts in the Isle of Man and go and go through it that, go through it that way. Of course, the Isle of Man is... You know, among other its other attractions, is rather uh, opaque. Yeah, and it's there to provide confidentiality to to people. But then, having made that decision in 2015, the companies in the Isle of Man, the AIB companies, seek the return of the data from the Republic back to the Isle of Man in Jersey because they are uh, concerned about the confidentiality of their customers' uh, affairs. And as the bank is being uh, wound down. There's the transfer of loans, the sale of loans to AIB in the UK in such a way that legally and technically these uh, loans are still resident offshore. So they're still, they make they make uh, sure that there's no uh, uh, weakening of the confidentiality that, 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 that applies with being offshore. And you have to remember at this stage, these were government, this was a government-owned bank sure, sure, and it had yeah. been bailed out by the the exchequer to do, you know, it costs us about seven billion, I think. But what's quite interesting is that the AIB offshore, when it's going concerned, I, I think it shows some concern that it's going to be closed down, is making a pitch to, to to Dublin to say, you know, we've got a future here. They're saying we can provide, we can facilitate tax planning by the highest, the richest people uh, in Ireland who might be non-tax residents in Ireland, and then get all their money on deposit. And, and feed it into the group, and we're a way of, of getting cash for the banking system. So this state-owned bank that's been bailed out by the Exchequer is uh, is looking at facilitating uh, the reduction of tax on the wealthiest people in society yeah. uh, for its own gain, while at the same time being backed by the, the, the Exchequer. Yeah, that is, inter- is interesting, but not particularly surprising, I have to, I have to, I have to be honest. Yes. But, um, yeah. This is the first 
tranche of stuff that we're publishing on on Monday morning and of course there's other material being published across the world is there more to come and what's the schedule can we expect more yeah, the over days? the week we'll be rolling out uh, uh, stories on we have stories about you know very wealthy business business people Irish companies and business people some some celebrities in the art world um, and uh, even an Irish priest who's linked to offshore comp- uh, offshore companies that in turn own very substantial assets. Watch this space. Colm Keena, thanks for coming in. And that's it for this edition of Inside Story. Thanks to Colm Keena for joining us and thanks also to Declan Conlon, our producer. Remember, you can find all our podcasts at irishtimes.com slash podcasts or on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast provider is. If you want to get in touch, my email is hlinehan at irishtimes.com or you can always find me on Twitter. But until the next time, goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening.